Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. And we're going across the other side of the world this week. And we're going to be talking to Guy Walker, a dual professional athlete. He's played cricket, he's played Aussie rules football. I think sometimes in sport, we're drawn to the guys that have scored loads of centuries, scored loads of goals, taken gold medals. But I've always been interested in the struggles that some people have. Guy is 24 years old and he's already facing having to try and find a third version of himself, a third career. Career in cricket was short-lived. Career in Aussie rules, again, short-lived because of injury, not because of lack of skill. And I really enjoyed catching up with Guy, a terrific fella. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as we go through his career, his trials and tribulations, his challenges, and his hopes for the future. It's that Badger style. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Badger podcast connected with me on linkedin the other day and I, i've got to be honest guy I'd, I'd not heard of you before obviously having read your story off the back of linkedin i mm. became interested in, in in you and i've always been interested in the kind of psychological side of sport and people dealing with adversity and, and what have you and you appear yeah. to have more than most uh yeah it's um it's, it's, it's certainly been a, an interesting journey um uh, yeah you're right i think um a lot of sportsmen sort of have to go through a few injuries and I unfortunately went through a, a few more than others. Um, I had sort of the usual fast bowlers back injuries when I was younger, but um, never had a shoulder problem. And uh, yeah, recently it's um, it's brought me out of, uh, of all sports now for the rest of my life. So um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, um, but it's been a good one. And you played for Australia under 19s, didn't you, in your early days? And then obviously had high aspirations to go on and make a career of cricket. Let, let me let me take you back to the one game that you played. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds bizarre because you, you must have devoted quite a lot of time 
to training for cricket and getting ready for cricket, but it's just the one T20 you played for Melbourne Renegades on December the 19th. Take me back to before that game when you knew you were playing and your thoughts and excitement ahead of that. Yeah, so it was probably the only really decent run I had at it. Sort of, um, sort of yeah, sort of like you're right after played um, the Under 19 World Cup, uh, sort of. Um, had a decent run at it and sort of played a lot of second 11 career with Victoria. Um, we had a really good side in um, then and sort of played literally one game. I just came back from a, from a stress fracture in my back um, and David Saker had just joined uh, as coaches of Victoria. Um, and I was literally in the nets bowling um, and I had a pretty good relationship with Sakes in the first few months of, of him coming over and coaching. And there was a one more spot left up uh, in the Renegade side and he, he saw me bowl and he said, geez, geez, Walsh, you bowling. You're bowling some decent pace. Um, oh, we would like to offer you the last spot. Um, played the practice games for the Renegades against the... Um, I think we played against the Stars. Um, went up and did a bit of a training camp. Brisbane and Sakes came up to me and said, uh, you're playing at the Gabba. We want you bowling at the Gabba. It's quick here. It's obviously um, not the greatest place to bowl if it's, if it's really flat. Um, and, yeah, so I found out probably two or three days before um, the game that I was, I was definitely playing. And it was only about a month before. Yeah, not even, maybe probably three or four weeks before where I'd just come back from a back stress fracture and um, was just bowling in the nets where Sake saw me. So lucky he was there that day. This is 2015, isn't it? And that renegade side, it included some yep. decent players, didn't it? You've got Aaron Finch there as your skipper. Chris Gale, everybody knows who he is. You've got yeah. uh, Cameron White and uh, Matthew Wade in there. Plenty of uh, very, very good players in that side. You come on to bowl, though. And it doesn't go quite to plan, does it? I've, I've read an article that Mike Selvey, English journalist, did with you. Yeah, uh, he's a good man. And he's basically chronicled your spell. And I, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to relive it for you. Um, started off four, <laughs> one leg by, one, dot ball, wide, four, wide, one leg by, four, one, six, six, one, dot ball, six, six, four, two, dot ball, dot ball. And that was your time as a, as a professional cricketer pretty much done and dusted, none for 47 from three overs. And you must have nightmares of looking at uh, Chris Lynn. Yeah, it was, it was a very strange game. Um, I saw, yeah, that first over, I was bowling to Lendl Simmons and um, about fourth ball, um, unfortunately, there was a catch dropped and it was just made it a lot worse by palming it over the boundary as well. So um, that, that wasn't the greatest start. It could have been one for six off my first over, but it ended up being under 10. And then at the Gabba, yeah, just... When Chris Lynn's going well, I think he was about 40 or 50 and probably back then as well. I, was, I think I was 19 um, and all I wanted to do was try and bowl as fast as I could. And I kept, you, when you keep seeing that you're, you're bowling over 140, you go, I'm going to keep trying to bowl fast here because I was, it was probably the fastest time in my life that I was uh, that I was getting the ball through at. Um, so, yeah, I sort of, the Gabba, very short straight and I didn't bowl very smart to Chris Lynn, sort of... Um, I think my first, yeah, two overs only went for sort of 15, 20, and then the last over went for about, yeah, 20, 25 or something. Chris Lynn just, I was just bowling slot to him, and he he, he could have mishit it off the toe of his bat straight down the ground at, at the Gabber, and he was he was just too good. Um, like, like he's, he's a quality T20 player, and um, I just didn't bowl for smart enough to him. You've got 28,000 people in the Gabba watching you You bowling. This is your opportunity and it's not going well. How does that yeah. How does that translate to you? I mean, the pressure doesn't tend to make people play any better. Do, do you just want to shrink and go under the turf? Yeah, it was funny. Uh, I, I, I sort of remember after probably um, after my spell, sometimes players 
say you can't hear um, stuff the crowd are saying, but I'll sort of on the boundary and I could hear everything they were saying to me. <laughs> um, so it's probably, it probably not appropriate to, to say most of the things that they were saying to me. But um, yeah, even after the game, like you can just, yeah, it's not it's not the greatest feeling and sort of some of the boys come up to you and they're like, oh, well, if that catch t- is taken in the first over and who knows, you probably could have gone on to take three for 20 or whatever, but like it, it didn't in the like it didn't get taken in the end. So like I have to live with um what happened and being a 19 year old and sort of being injured for a lot of it and of my career and um, you sort of get back to your hotel room and I reckon I had about 400 notifications on social media and most of them you could imagine probably wasn't the greatest remarks back to me. So um at such a young age you sort of you start reading them and you're like wow it's like and like some, it's literally like some of them are like 40 year old blokes that are like calling you every name under the sun um yeah so it's a it was it was a strange night i went from sort of cloud nine uh the previous few days before the game to uh, yeah and then sort of um a few da- a few games after the, in in that game I, I felt something go with my shoulder throwing from the boundary because the gabba square is quite long and yeah so the rest is history and, and I, I never really I was never really fit after that game ever again. It made me, when you were talking there, it made me think of that film Sliding Doors. I don't know if you've ever seen it, where she takes, um, she's running down the steps in the tube station in London. And she, in one of the takes, she catches the tube and her life goes in one direction. In the other take, she misses the tube and her life goes in the complete. <laughs> and that, that's yeah. kind of really me of that with that catch. You know, if that catch had been taken, three for 20, as you say, and, you know, you, you could have. Uh, it could have been a whole different career, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it could have. Like it, like especially after the game, I started thinking about that. I was like, oh well, if that catch was taken, then um, you never know. Sort of, I probably would have played the next game. It wasn't until about two hours before the next game that I, I found out that I wasn't playing against. So I think it was one of the Sydney teams came down to Eddie had, and um, we were playing against them. Um, and yeah, literally two hours before the game, Sage came up to me and he goes, uh, "We've um, had a bit of a tactical." Um, sort of chat me and Finchie and we don't think it's best you'd play this game but you'll definitely play next game um, and the bloke they brought in had a good game and he sort of played the rest of the the rest of the competition and I remember Say's coming back up to me a bit before the last before the second last game and he said if we lose tonight we're out of finals contention and you'll definitely be playing and then sure enough the boys won by two runs so I wasn't playing there again and then yeah so ended up going to play in England that that year as just as, as a batter and um knew something was wrong with my body so I came back a bit early and then yeah that was when the surgery started for my shoulder and never played never played a game of cricket ever again and probably won't ever again in my life the cricket badger podcast is brought to you in association with cricket365.com their ethos we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do join them at cricket365.com Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. It wasn't just minor surgery either. It was a major shoulder reconstruction, it says on the piece I'm reading. It's uh, you know, a, proper, a proper serious operation. Yeah, it was. It was, um, I sort of, it was about, about a week before the season started for Victoria. We were playing one day cup and we had a lot of injuries anyway. And our coach... Our coach at the time, so David Saker left to be the bowling coach for Australia. Um, and we had Andrew McDonald, who's coach um, Leicester and played for Australia. He sort of put a bit of pressure on me to try and get back and um, said there's a lot of injuries and can you try and get back? So I did. I tried to get and play and all the scans came up clear and I knew something wasn't right. Um, 
and then they sort of went in and had a look at the shoulder and it was, yeah, it was cooked. There was tears everywhere and instability in the shoulder. So, yeah, had a major, a major reconstruction, missed the whole year of cricket and um, sort of tried to get back, back right playing um, for the next season and sort of got to pre-season and sort of still felt something not quite right. And they had another look at it and unfortunately the surgeon had left a, an anchor on the back of my labrum. So I needed to go back in again for another surgery and miss a whole another season. Wow. You, you were watching your, your teammates as well winning the Sheffield Shield, weren't you, at the time? And that, that's got to be conflicting emotions there. I wish I was out there, but I'm really happy for what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. That was it. Like, uh, I think the thing with our side as well, when I was back, when I first got contracted to Victoria and I was a young, young fella, it was, uh, it was very much an older an older team with the likes of the Cameron Whites and um, sort of Glenn Maxwell's, Matty Wade's. Like, it was a really, really strong side and they won three Shields in a row. So the thing about rehab as well is when you're sort of trying to get back playing, you're not, you're not training with the main side and you're not in them live net session and, and you're not going away with the boys playing. So you're just back home and you're in the gym and you're pulling around therabands and you're quite isolated as well. So not only do you miss that sort of playing side and, and success side of the, of the team, but you also miss the interaction as well with, with your players and um, yeah, it's something I've always had to had to go through and, and fully understand um, what it's like to be in isolation. And, and you're a dual professional athlete, aren't you? Because you played Aussie Rules. How did that come about? Were you a, Presumably you played that at school and you were decent at it and you'd chosen cricket initially, but once you'd recovered from your shoulder, you, you decided to give that a go instead. Yeah, so so I was actually, I was born in Nottingham. I was born in England. Um, so I was going to ask you how that came about. Yeah, so my old man played for, he played for Nottingham. Um, he was an Aussie, came over, um, his dad was English and my dad was, um, he was going pretty well as a keeper and sort of he had to retire as well, 24 years old. And um, so when he retired, he got the job for the Malaysian national team. So he went there for a year and then ended up coming back to Australia. Um, and then from there, I'd never even seen a footy. I think I was about five or six years old. I'd ne- I never even seen an AFL football in my life. And just fell in love with it. Sort of when you're in Melbourne, you've got no other choice, really, but to, to like the sport. So I played both of them when I was young. Um, got contracted with Victoria at a 17-year-old. They were, I think they were a little bit worried about that I might go to AFL as an 18-year-old. And sort of, yeah, when I was 21, 20, 21 22, a few, few different AFL clubs showed quite a bit of interest. And I said no to them. Still continue with cricket. And then after that second surgery, um, it literally just deflated me. I was, um, I kind of knew that to come back from two shoulder surgeries as a fast bowler and a, um, and a decent outfielder, it was going to be real hard to come back and, and play. So there's, there's a few clubs again show interest in AFL and um, I stayed in Melbourne, um, sort of stayed one of my best mates plays for Melbourne. So stayed here. We were a big chance to win a premiership. Ended up nearly fin- ended up finishing second last. Uh, in pre-season, I got injured again and had such a bad injury that it ended up causing me to retire about a month ago. For, for people in England, like myself, who have seen Aussie yeah. rules, but for very distance, it's, it's the one with tight shorts, tight tops, and basically it's a little bit <laughs> it to be yeah. like rugby, and, and there's a lot of running around and a lot of kicking. Is that kind of general gist <laughs> of it? Yeah, it, it's pretty much yeah the the, the short short shorts and the the singlets, the tight top. Yeah, so it's um yeah it's it's funny because when I, when I come back to England to see my family and try to explain to my little cousins what's going on, I show them a game and they do not have they don't have a clue what's going on. So 
it's uh it, it's it's certainly it's probably one of the most intense sports I reckon I've ever seen. You've you've got to be able to run a long way in a little amount of time and be very skillful at it. So um, it's a good, it's a brilliant game. Like, I think it's something that when I was in London actually this year, they they've got a they've got a they've got a whole league now in London of AFL. So I, I was right. surprised to see that. Yeah. And how how can you be fit to play that and not cricket? Is it different muscles, different movements? Yeah, so so pretty much with with AFL, like I can be, I don't have to use so like specifically my shoulder um, to play it. I've just got to be able to. Um, I, I probably I wasn't the best um, endurance runner, but my speed was something of a strength, and um, I, I had a decent left foot, so I could sort of get away with not having to use my shoulder all the time. Whereas in cricket, like because I was a fast bowler. And I was trying to bowl. I was trying to bowl 140 plus, and then trying to throw the ball, throw the ball in as well. And I, I had the both the surgeries on my right side and my right right arm bowler. So um, I, I could just never see myself getting back to back to playing cricket. And then, yeah, ironically, ended up um, getting a real bad injury in my shoulder playing AFL, and yeah, never played again. So yeah, it's for somebody like me though, who who loves sport, who. All he does with sport is write about it and, and talk about it. The yeah. fact that you, even at the age of 24, can look back at two careers in professional sport. I mean, I presume you shared a, a dressing room with some very good Aussie rules players, but to have sat in a cricket dressing room with the likes of Aaron Finch and Chris Gale, etc., it's, it's it's not bad, is it? Yeah, I'm like yeah, like I think like a lot of people come up to me and they say, well. Um, even sort of when I retired last month, a lot of play, a lot of people, players came up to me and said, "Oh, it's it's a shame you never got to reach the the potential you could have reached." And I thought, like all that sort of stuff, and like fair enough, like it's obviously it's not a nice thing to to go through, but at the same time, the way I look at it is um, is I, I've I've been able to live my dream um, for the two loves I had um, as a kid, so. I've been privileged enough to, to be professional, both of them, be a dual, dual professional athlete. And um, I've met some amazing people along the way. And even when I was injured, like the, the different players associations, the AFL Players Association, the Australian Creators Association, like some of the opportunities and sort of experiences I got to do with them because I, I was injured is is not what most sort of 21, 22, 23-year-olds get to experience. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm forever grateful for, for the opportunity that I've been given. But... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's a finish to it now, and uh, and move on. And what what's it like to have Chris Gale as a teammate? He he always strikes me as a, a very cool, laid back kind of individual who can hit the ball very hard. But is he is he a, a decent teammate to have? Yeah, I, I loved him. I like I, I reckon I spent probably two months with him um, over that sort of period. And like some people tell me, like oh, he might be a bit arrogant, might be a bit this and that. But I, I tell you what, like he's always got a smile on his face he's got time for everyone I, like, I remember our last game at Eddie had sort of a lot of different families came in like th- you should have seen how many people were in the dressing room after every game we played when Chris Gale was there compared to when Chris Gale wasn't there it was like a ghost town when he wasn't there so it, it, it's amazing like I've never seen a I've never seen a bloke draw people to to, to an individual like him before so and he had time for everyone like everyone asked for a photo he'd have a smile on his face and he'd bring in the El Dorado rum after every game and all the boys and all their families would have a few drinks and it was just a great atmosphere when he was around and like I think people forget as well like when you're around him like because he's a big jokester and smiles and all this sort of stuff people sometimes or players sometimes forget 
the knowledge he has in the game. Like sometimes, like even when I am watching a bit of cricket and I see his stats come up, I'm like, how many games has he played? Like that is ridiculous. Um, and his record, even his test record, like just stands for himself. So I, I found him, I got along with him really well and I found him to be an amazing bloke. Sort of the time he had for for people was amazing. Yeah, he's not, he's not got a bad record, has he? Triple century in test matches. and yeah. Basically, hit the ball out of every single ground in the in the world, hasn't he? Really, um, <laughs> pretty much. The Cricket Budget Podcast Association with Cricket Three Six Five comes to an end at the end of October. So we're seeking a new headline sponsor. Thank you very much indeed to Cricket Three Six Five for their support of the podcast over the last year. This is a great opportunity for you to get your business in front of the cricket world. Be the headline sponsor on the Cricket Badger podcast. We'll promote you on here. We'll promote you on social media. And we're also planning to incorporate new videos onto the cricketbadgerpod.com website as well. And you'll be emblazoned all over those too. Fantastic opportunity to get your business in front of thousands of cricket fans. So let's get together, form a great relationship going ahead. We'll plug you and make sure the world knows about about you. Please check out cricketbadgerpod.com for further details. Looking at your LinkedIn profile, which is on the screen in front of me here, it says retired dual professional yep. athlete, which we, we, we talked about, Melbourne Demons, yep. which is your Aussie Rules team, your Melbourne Renegades, which is your cricket team. And it says looking for the next opportunity. I've noticed that you've, you've done a little bit of radio. You've, you're involved in the, the Players Association for the AFL. Is that right? What, what will that next opportunity be? Yeah, it's it's something. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I didn't think I'd have to sort of uh, make make that decision at 24. So I've done that's some, like when I was referring to before about the the different opportunities I've been given. Yeah, I've been able to do uh, work a bit with Channel Seven and do quite a bit of radio um, before. So I think I'll, I'll one of my good friends. He sort of runs a a radio station, a pretty big one here in Melbourne, and I'll go on that and do that a little bit and doing quite a bit of work with the AFL Players Association and uh, doing a bit of stuff with their with one of their mental health programs, actually. So that's trying to help community coaches um, in AFL deal with, sort of look for the signs of mental health and in their team. So it's a really good initiative and something that I'm hoping that might be my next opportunity to, to do full-time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of looking for that, still looking for that next opportunity and, yeah, trying to look at the, look for that next passion away from sport. Was mental health an issue for you? Because I, I assume as an athlete who is, as you, as you said, sidelined with injury, removed from the dressing room, struggling to try to come to terms with, you know, getting back on the pitch, it, it must have an effect. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I think when I was playing, um, when I was around sort of the Victorian side, because we, we had quite an older side. So I think a lot of the... I reckon I did go through a mental health issue. I just think at the time that I just I didn't realise what it was. Um, so we were, I think, at the same time when I was about 19, 20, I started getting injured. I, I had that, that shoulder surgery and at the same time my parents got divorced and mum moved back to England, dad moved back to where he's from in Australia and I was sort of living away from away from them for the first time as a 20-year-old. I was injured. Um I missed a whole season and then missed another whole season, and there was some yeah, there was some dark times in there. But I think I think probably five or six years ago, there wasn't such a a well known sort of uh, sort of thing about mental health around society then as it is now. So yeah, I definitely think I did. 
I just didn't know it, and and, and thankfully now, like even thankfully then, like I sort of was able to speak to our psychologist um, at the, at the club at Victoria then, and sort of speak through a bit of the stuff I was going through, and it helped massively. And yeah, you know, the likes in England of Marcus Ruskothic and Jonathan Trot, it, it almost takes people to suffer for the the mental health thing to become big enough news for it to be taken seriously, doesn't it? And it, it sounds like a really good initiative that you want to get involved in there to to really you know look after people i guess isn't it yeah i think so like i, I think as well as blokes is um it's i hope it does change but it, it's almost like the the old um you sort of you you say you're not struggling until um you can't handle it anymore and then you are and then you sort of put your hand up when you're at the darkest place and i think that's that's probably the problem with with a lot of men is that we bottle a lot of things up and don't really speak about them so and i think as well as you know cricket's such a such a psychological sport there's like most good players say even with the really really good players they always say uh you have a lot more bad days than you have good so it's it's hard isn't it like i remember um speaking to at another 19 level when we were playing at the world cup our manager then was was greg chapel and he spoke about the time when i think he got eight ducks in a row like could, like we were like what do you mean you got because we didn't even i don't think most of us didn't even know that but yeah he he got eight ducks in a row at one time so like even just going through things in cricket, like you nick off three or four times in a row, and you you get under ten and you dropped, and so a, a lot of things as well is a lot of blokes. Like obviously, if it, cricket is their life and it's their profession, a lot of them take it back out to the real world if they're not going too well, and that's that's half the, that that's the main bit of struggle I think. So I think it's a really tough sport, and a lot of people I've seen in cricket have gone through a few mental health issues, and it's something that probably needs to be rectified. That's something I think that people who are outside of the dressing room, a professional dressing room, don't quite get to me is that, you know, as, as a club cricketer or as somebody, you know, playing sport just for fun, you get out for naught, you go down the pub, you have a few beers with your mates and you, yeah. you, you're back at work the next day and everything's fine. Whereas, you know, as a Greg Chappell or as anybody who experiences a bad run of form or like yourself has a long injury, it's your job, isn't it? It's your, it's your living. It's, it's that that's being compromised as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's, I think that's sometimes hard for the for the general public that have never played um, professional sports. To understand is that like I think from their understanding, they think, oh, well, how can you go through these mental health issues? You're you're earning probably a few hundred thousand pound a year, and you fail a few times. How are you going through this? And I think that's that's where they're coming from. But the, the thing is, is that when it's your profession, um, and it's and it's your life, and you, you're not doing too well in it, you there's so many different sort of outside factors that come in and like now, especially social media, uh, like if you start reading, if the players start reading some of what's said on social media and even like things like they might go to like a, a family dinner and then like their family brings it up. And I think it's just because you're thinking about it all the time and all the time. And then you sort of go out for your next hit and all you're thinking about is don't fail again, don't fail again. And yeah, so you sort of get, get stuck in that, in that ring of, of, um, of all these different sort of outside factors coming down and on you at the same time. And you, so that, that's, I think that's why people say sort of when you're going well in cricket, it's the best, the best time ever. But when you're not going so well, it's, it's a, it's a pretty lonely place to be. And it's such an individualized team sport that you probably get, get a duck in that bloke um, in your squad. He's probably happy about it. So it's a, it's a tough one. I often think that people who are who are supporters need to actually think about the, what the definition of supporter is or what support is because it's 
yeah, to get behind a team, isn't it? To get behind players and to try and lift them up and make them better, really, is 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 my definition of support. But I remember sitting at Headingley watching Yorkshire play, and there was a rather rotund fella who must have been about fifty, looked like he'd never run for anything, not even a bus, and he was giving <laughs> players absolute grief, and they could hear it out in the middle. And that doesn't, you know, as, as a professional sportsman, that kind of support doesn't actually make you play any better. It probably makes you worse, if anything, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And like at the same time, like it's it, it's it's funny isn't it when you sort of listen to some of the things being said to these players it's i always just think that like the players aren't trying to to fail like they're trying to do their best if it's not working they know better than anyone that it's not working that they're not doing that well so they don't need 50 other people from the from the crowd from social media telling them how bad they're going so i understand that the people get frustrated and that sort of stuff with their team um with individual individuals that aren't going so well but at the same time like they're they're doing their best they're trying to do their best so they can get that next contract or or play for that next team higher and do well for their family so that's all they're trying to do are you looking to get your business in front of the cricket world? Join forces with the fastest growing cricket podcast on the web, the Cricket Budget Podcast, brought to you in association with your business. Take an advert on the pod or become the headline sponsor. Contact us, cricketbudget at hotmail.com for some very reasonable prices and joining the fun as the Cricket Budget Podcast continues to go from strength to strength. Being a Nottingham lad, you could, you could have played yeah. for England, couldn't you? If you if the, if your career had carried on, was that ever a thought? Or was... uh, at one stage of my career, um, it was never really a thought because I loved I loved being in Australia. I sort of set up my life here and my family. Uh, I'm a, my friends were here. My family's all still in Nottingham. So um, at one stage when I was playing, um, I was sort of playing second eleven cricket a lot. After that big bash game, I was playing. Oh, before before and after, I played a bit of second eleven cricket. Um, and there was an opportunity that arose to, to go back and play county cricket in England. But I sort of thought about it and my body, even in the Australian summer, wasn't coping. So I remember um, when I when I was first in the squad, I played probably the first two or three years with David Hussey. Um, and Huss, I asked Huss one day about how many games they sort of play um, in England. He goes, they play about double what we play here. And I just straight away thought to myself, I can't even get through an Australian summer, so the chances of me playing and not getting injured in England is very slim. So, and also as well, when I used to, go, I used to go back for summers to to see the family as well in England, and um, sometimes summer days would be eighteen and raining, and I'm like, geez, imagine winter. So I couldn't sort of imagine myself going back. <laughs> I, you should look out my window now. It's, it's not. It's not, it's not <laughs> I it's can not imagine winter sometimes. <laughs> I, I remember talking to Jason Gillespie, who was obviously a player at Yorkshire and a, and a coach. Yeah. He was um, saying that you know w- w- when you're playing in the in the Shield in, in Australia, there's time off between games, isn't there? You get a chance to actually s- kind of recoup and then plan your attack for the next game. Look at who you're playing, decide your tactics and all that kind of stuff. And you're quite right. In England, there are very very few days off. I mean, I I did a couple of years home and away with with Yorkshire as a as a journalist, and even doing that, I was absolutely knackered by the time it got to September. You probably chose the right right route there, I think, in in terms of avoiding that. Yeah, it's. I, I always. Yeah, I, I don't know how the fast bowlers get through the season. Some, some. I see them sometimes um, play a game, and then yeah, the next day they're playing another game, and the next day they're playing another game. Like yeah, yeah. Jason is right. Like we at least have sort of a week, two weeks in between shield games, and I think in, I think especially fast bowlers needed. If you're bowling, if you're bowling forty, fifty overs in that in that game, 
you need your, your body needs to to rest a little bit, and sort of all the the injuries we have in Australia with our fast bowlers, I, like I couldn't imagine playing similar to an English season and seeing the injuries come out of then. So I don't know, maybe because our wickets are a bit harder here, and um, they might be putting a bit bit more load through their through their their sort of their front legs and backs and all that sort of stuff. I'm I'm not sure what the reason is, but yeah, we seem to have quite a few injuries with our fast bowlers without even playing as much as, as an English season. You just you, you turned 24, didn't you, only about a month ago. The Yeah. I, I mean, that's still very, very young to be starting a you know a whole new life, really, and, and taking on new challenges and what have you. But I, I would imagine as a 24-year-old, you, you're reasonably mature because you've gone through so much, it's probably shaped you into quite a well-rounded person, hasn't it? Uh, I, I, I think I've had to go through probably a lot more stuff than um, the average sort of 23 24 year old would have to go through um i had to leave home a lot lot younger and i'm happy i'm happy everything happened um and yeah i did i sort of even now like if you if you tell my girlfriend that or tell my mates that uh that i'm quite mature they'd laugh at you and say he's <laughs> um he's the biggest goose you've ever you've ever met but um i think as well the thing for me when i yeah like i said before was when i first joined victoria um there wasn't many i think that was me and Matt, Matthew Short. He was a 17-year-old as well. So we both got signed on. And you should have walked into the dressing rooms. And it was, yeah, the likes of Cam White, Dave Hussey, Aaron Finch, um, Rob Quine. You see, you've, you've got all these sort of older heads that you've been watching for a long time. And you have to mature quite a lot even then because sort of the age gap between myself and Matt to the average in the team would have been sort of 25, 26. So we sort of had to mature up a little bit and... Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've been able to take a few skills from um, from my cricket and AFL journey to sort of take it to the next step in, in, in life, that next opportunity. Your dad, you interested me when you spoke about your dad because I, I wrote a book called yeah. Following On in the Footsteps of Cricketing Fathers and in, interviewed a lot of <laughs> father and sons combos um, in this country and abroad. And your dad's uh, typical old school cricketer's got three initials, Lindsay, Nicholas, Peter Walker. Yeah, not yeah. Great. Was that an inspiration for you, your dad, in terms of sport, going into sport? You know, I, I spoke, as I say, I spoke to yeah. a lot of players and with bats lying around and presumably Aussie rules gear lying around as well, you probably pick things up and <laughs> you get touched by your dad and you're into it quicker than other people. Yeah, you're right. With that, um, with the cricket bat, yeah, like sort of, he hated, I think he hated the cricket in the end. Like he, I think a lot of players, like a lot of, a lot of players, to be honest, that I, I play, I play with um, in the professional game, a lot of them, I think it's because all these different factors, like I was saying before, a lot of them end up not hating the game, but not enjoying it like they used to. And it's, they look at it as more of a job. Um, and that was certainly what my dad dad went through sort of with Nottingham. And he had to wait a long time for his passport to come through. So he couldn't play first team for Nottingham. But yeah, like when, when I was younger, sort of there'd be a career back there. And that's all I wanted to ever do when I was younger. I'd Like even sort of when I go home to England now and, and sort of see my family, they just say, oh, when you were younger, all you used to do was take a cricket bat or bowl, bowl wherever you went. You used to bowl an imaginary ball. And he was he was the inspiration for me. But at the same time, he was he sort of let me go through my own journey. He was never telling me, oh, you should have played this shot or if I got out. And that's that's I, I think that's what I see a lot of dads doing now, unfortunately. A lot, a lot of time their sons are... They're getting out and they're in the car on the way home and the dad's telling them how bad a shot they played. Like, I don't think that's neat. I think that's why a lot of kids now are falling out of love with the game as it's it's a long game. If they don't do well, there's a lot of a lot of pressure on them. So I was lucky enough that, that my dad sort of, he helped me out where I needed to, to be helped out, but he let me sort of go on my own journey and 
he never ever really spoke about much of his career. So I never really, I never really, because he he retired at twenty three. So I never, I knew he was playing first team career for Nottingham, and it was before Chris it was Chris Reed was playing. I think second eleven. Um, but it was funny. I, I sort of went back to play my first season as a batter in Nottingham. Um, a few years ago, probably would have been four or five years ago now. And when a lot of them found out who my dad was, they were like, "Oh, I remember your dad." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, what was he? How, how was he? Uh, was he just a battler?" And they're like, "Mate, they go, if he if he didn't get injured, he would have played crew for England." And like every single person in Nottingham I ever met that that saw him, all of them say it. So he must have been okay. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, the, I, I obviously spoke to sons that had been successful because otherwise I wouldn't have known who they were. And yeah. they all said to a, to a man that their dads were encouraging, but they let, let them get on with it. And most of them said that they only um, really spoke to their dads about cricket properly. If, if the son approached the dad, the dad wouldn't go to the son. And probably from what you've said, the ones that aren't successful are the ones where the dad exerts too much pressure and it yeah. becomes too much of a job too much of a challenge too early yeah yeah i, I think it's a, i think it's a massive issue i was actually speaking to my dad about this yesterday he's he's still a career coach up in uh, up in new south wales and um one of his players um called him the other day and was was saying that on the way back um from sydney he, that his dad took him up a two-hour drive to play this rep carnival and the sun failed he got a duck and on the way home the dad was telling him i've driven all the way to sydney for you to get a duck so things like that, I'm, I'm saying like, as funny as it sounds like that, you're like, oh, surely that's a one off. The amount of stories I'm hearing about sort of dads putting so much pressure on their kids now, I just don't think like, I just think to when I was younger and I, I sort of played and um, if you failed, you'd go home and you'd play with your mates and you'd sort of wouldn't think about it too much. Um, but now it just seems every single time that I'm I'm at a cricket carnival or I see a see a game on and a kid gets out and their, their dad's the first one over there telling them what shots to play and all this sort of stuff. But and you're right, it's it's funny. It's like the the professional cricketer dads that that play the game. They're the ones that are on the other side of the ground talking to one of the other fathers or. They're the ones that are nowhere near their sons, even when they don't do well. But it, it, and it seems like the, the ones that were never that good at cricketers are the ones that are trying to teach their sons everything. So you they're, try, they're trying to the careers by through their sons, aren't they? Whereas the dads who have exactly. achieved yeah. have nothing to prove, really, do they? No, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. There, you hit the nail on the head with the. I think they're trying to live their life through their, through their sons, and um, I think that the the one the dads that have been successful know how hard the game is mentally and how you have to sort of. Um, understand your own game and and that that's the only way you understand it is if you if you keep getting out to the same shot eventually you're gonna have to try and pack that shot in and, and work it out how you're going to be successful so it's a very much a individual game in a, in a in a team basis when i invited you on the cricket badger podcast guy i explained to you what cricket badger meant in england and um, <laughs> is the term in australia isn't it it is yeah nuffy Basically, it's all of us saddos who love the game and basically devour it 24-7 and don't want to talk about anything else. It's basically cricket nuffy in Australia, cricket budger in England. Um, Guy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, mate. I hope uh, everything works out for you and you get a, get the career now, the second or th- well, third career, isn't it, that you you want to get <laughs> yeah. from life. And uh, wish you all the best for the future, mate. Thanks for being, being a guest on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, James. It's that badger style. Really enjoyed chatting to Guy Walker this week. As I said at the start of the interview, I had not heard of him before. I missed that game where he played for the Melbourne Renegade. And I think testament to him that he sounds so upbeat and so driven for his future after being disappointed. But as I said as well, you know, most of us would swap, wouldn't we? 
Most of us who are sat there who never get the chance to play professional sport because we're not good enough, we take one performance for the Melbourne Renegades, we take one performance for our team, play twice or play two sports professionally. It's no mean feat. Thank you very much to Guy for his contribution to the podcast this week. Much appreciated. Hopefully we'll catch up with him again at some stage in the future as well, find out how he's getting on with his third career. If you like the podcast, please like, subscribe, share it, comment, all of the positive things that will encourage other people to listen to it in the future and keep it going. It's not long now till we get to England in New Zealand, wherever you are in the world. Hope you're wintering well and until next week, enjoy your cricket. Speak soon, Mudges. Podcast Network.